Luke chapter 12, how to really live in the will of God. We've been talking about this for a couple of weeks now. And to teach and to bring messages on the will of God feels like such a monumental task. To simply think about the will of God can, after a, just a short while of thinking about it, start to feel overwhelming. How much trouble do I have in discerning my own heart? And, and referencing back again the class that some of you uh, came to last week and, and this tonight, how much trouble do we have just understanding our own will, our own spirit sometimes? And then you think about how difficult it can be to understand the heart or the will of, say, your spouse or your parents or your children or your friends. But then we're talking about trying to understand the will or the heart of God. Now that's massive. And really, we probably speak about it too lightly. We say, boy, I just want the will of God done in my life. But we might not stop to think about what is the will of God. It's a pretty big thing, and I think we can understand Paul's question when he said in Romans eleven thirty four, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Just how grand and big and great is the will of God. You know, God is so much greater than we are, and he is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. So how can we know the will of God? It's in Paul's second reflection on this that we find an answer to help us to zero in on our at least limited capacity to understand the will of God. It's when he says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he says it for the second time, For who hath known the mind of the Lord? And he goes on that we may instruct him. And then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. And now... With that, we have something that we can work with. You see, at least that seems more approachable to us, and that is exactly what God intended. That's why He sent Jesus, so that we could know God through knowing His Son. And in Christ, we have the presentation of Almighty God in such a way that we can understand God's thoughts and God's feelings and His will for us. And so to really know the will of God and to live in it is to set our own heart on following Jesus, on learning Him, and on growing in the knowledge of Him. And in our text in Luke chapter 12, that's what we're doing. We're hearing and we're learning the mind of Christ. He's the one who faithfully did the will of God. As we've reflected on before in, in the last couple of weeks, it is written of Jesus, Hebrews 10, 7, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. His whole purpose was to do the will of God. That should be our purpose. And to follow the mind of Christ would be to continue to grow in becoming people that are just set on doing the will of God. Now, I know those questions that I posed back on week one, we've got to come back to them. But, I mean, we, we have to think, what is the will of God? And... There are different ways to think about that, and I just want to mention these by way of introducing this morning the message, but what should we be learning in a series of messages on the will of God? What is the big picture that we are after? In terms of, of direction on knowing the will of God, I think there are three things 
that we can see are three aspects of the will of God. And I've, I've tried to alliterate these, and it wasn't difficult because two of them we hear this way all the time, and they're right. So number one, when you think about the will of God, you think about God's perfect will. Okay, God's perfect will. That's the sovereign will of God over all things. What God says will be done will be done. You can't change it, and I can't change it, and the devil can't change it, the world can't change it. God's perfect will will be done, and God has a sovereign, perfect will. I didn't see it this morning, but I, I had a little note, notation on the bottom of my computer screen that said that he had rain mixed with snow. I didn't see any of the snow. But if God wanted snow, snow came today, and nobody can stop that. So there's the perfect will of God. But then there is what we might call God's prescribed will. And I chose that word, and it was a word I had to think about. What would be a good word, just so I could alliterate that to help remember it. But what would be a good word for this? Because what I mean is, this is God's will for believers, but it is not the sovereign will of God because it is not necessarily going to be done unless we do it. Now, what do I mean by that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. It's God's will that you abstain from fornication, but you have a choice in that, don't you? It's God's will that we believe on Jesus, but man has a choice in that. So that is what we might call God's prescribed or purported will. This is what God wants done, but we have to agree and do our part in it. And then there is thirdly what we think of many times as God's personal will for me. So there's the perfect will of God over all things. What God wants done will be done. There's the prescribed will of God that God says this is, what, this is how you should live, but you must choose to do it. And then a step beyond that is, well, what is God's personal will for me? God wants everybody to abstain from fornication. God wants everybody to believe in Jesus. There are things God wants forever. But what does God want for me personally? We want to understand those things as we learn the will of God. But I'll tell you this, to learn this and to know it begins, first of all, with being willing to learn the will of God. Now, as simple as that sounds, it's a challenge for a lot of people because we are very strong-willed children, aren't we? We talk about the strong-willed child. Well, there's some of us that... As God's children are very strong-willed, and we've got to be willing to learn the will of God. But if we're willing to learn the will of God, then we must be yielded to live in the will of God. I've got to say that it is going to be the practice of my life daily to surrender all to the will of God, and when I get out of the will of God, I must confess that and come back into the will of God. I yield to live the will of God, and then finally, if I'll do that, I'll be growing to love the will of God. And I promise you, and some of you know, but if you will commit to living the will of God, you will continue to grow in loving the will of God. And you'll want nothing else for your life than that. Now, what have we begun to learn about the will of God in this series of messages? Let me just say quickly that, number one, God's will should be the primary focus of our lives. The will of God is primary. Now, the Bible is chock full of God's will. Every page tells us about the will of God in some form or fashion of what we just described. But it's not just the verses which specifically say that this is God's will. It's, it's all of it. We can find it everywhere on every page. But, of course, those verses that tell us specifically this is God's will, those are good places to start. Those are good places to begin to study and learn and and learn we must because we are told in the Scriptures that the knowledge of God's will should fill our lives. 
Colossians 1, 9. Paul says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, you can't be filled with two things, right? Water and oil don't mix. But if you pour oil and water in the same vessel, you're not full of oil and water. You're full of oil and water. You see what I'm saying? To be full of God, we can't be, have anything else. To, to, to be filled with the knowledge of God means I've got to be emptied of everything else in my life. And that's a hard thing to do in this world we live in. We're constantly bombarded with other things to fill our life with. And it is an ongoing learning in our discipleship how to step away and, and decrease and cut away all those things that would take up space in our life that's not the will of God so that we can be filled with the will of God. The knowledge of His will. God's will is such a priority and should be such a focus of our life. Remember last week we said Jesus taught us that we should pray for God's will to be done every day on the earth and in our lives. It should be part of our regular praying. And you'll notice when Jesus says that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Notice the kingdom of God and the will of God are inseparable. And as we pray for the kingdom to come, we are praying for God's will to be done. And if we are truly praying for that, we must also truly be submitting to that. The kingdom of God or the reign of God is wherever what God wants done is being done. And I want to live in that. I mean, what would be more important in our life than being in what God wants to be done? Nothing I want matters more than that. Nothing I would choose for myself is more important or would rank above being in the middle of what God wants done being done. So this is major. And yet, I find myself still in conflict with that in certain areas of my life. I have more work to do, I guess, what I'm trying to say in terms of coming to really understand how to live in that knowledge of God's will. And I think all of us do. Secondly, we are learning in this, this early series of messages that, we, that our lives do not belong to us. And that's where our text that we've read every, both weeks so far, verse 20 of Luke 12, but God said unto him, the rich man who had tore down his barns and built bigger and better barns and did it all for himself, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee, then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. As difficult as it is for us to stay focused on, we are headed toward a reckoning. And it is hard for us to stay focused on that because... While we know the facts, the fact is, the truth is that I can be dead before this day is over. But I don't see that. I don't stay focused on that because my plans, there are so many stops between here and there. Now, that's not wise thinking. It's wise to plan, right? It's wise to, to prepare as if we're going to live a while. But it is wiser to know that today may be the last day that I have and I should not live to please myself, but I should live to please God. And I don't know about everybody here, but I'm going to tell you about me. I am in conflict with that all the time in my life. I'm always finding myself doing the things that please me. 
Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I said this on week one. When we're living in the will of God, how many choices do we get to make? Remember what I said? Tons. When you're living inside the will of God, you get to make a lot of choices about your life, and God blesses it. But really, there are things that I choose because they please me that are not according to the will of God, and I've got to stop that. I've got to get out of that. I've got to break those things, those habits. Our lives do not belong to us. And we're either living our lives as self-centered or God-centered. But we know that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. Now thirdly, and this is where we ended last time, we've learned and are learning that true riches are found in a life lived in faithful pursuit of the will of God. He said in verse 21, this is the, the fool is the one who is building up earthly treasures but is not rich toward God. And in the latter part of the text, in verse 31 and 34, what does he tell us? But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. True riches are found in a life that is lived in faithful pursuit of the will of God. He had to break last week as we began to consider this third truth and we're going to come back and finish that today but first let me ask you this question can you consider your life for just a moment think back over the last couple of weeks and can you put your finger on a specific way that you have changed in these last two weeks in which you have more aligned your life with the will of God think back over the last week, the last couple of weeks. Can you put a finger on any way in which you have changed your life to make you more aligned with the will of God? And those three truths, that the will of God should be primary and sought with the whole heart, that life, our life does not belong to us but is given to be used for the glory of God and we'll give account for it one day, and that true riches are found in a life lived in faithful pursuit of the will of God, has there been a change at all in your life? Now, I hope there has been. I hope you can identify one or two ways in which your life is changing and you're becoming more aligned with the will of God. I think a standalone fourth point that I kept repeating in the last two weeks, but maybe is this, to live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God. And maybe that's not just a standalone fourth point, maybe that is the point of it all that to live in the will of God is to live for the glory of God because God's will always brings him glory always when the Sun comes up every morning God gets glory when the moon shines like it has this week a time or two God is getting glory even when you don't see it shining God is getting glory so we look at the remainder of the message this morning on finding and knowing the will of God because there are some other specifics the Lord will be leading us into, I believe, just ahead. What is it then, coming back to this third point, true riches are found in a life lived in faithful pursuit of the will of God. What is it to be rich toward God? Or another way of saying that would be, it is a foolish and wasted life to, to be, have stored up earthly wealth and not have a relationship with God that is rich. To be rich toward God is to live in such a way that we are not poor-mouthing on our life situation. Rather, we are learning to trust God for everything because we've given ourselves to the one thing that matters, His glory. 
We said that last week. To be rich toward God is to become the kind of people that do not pour mouth about our life situation and our circumstances saying, woe is me and why has it happened to me? And why don't I have what they have? And why do we have to deal with this and they don't? Another difficult lesson to learn, isn't it? We, we, we struggle with all these lessons because we struggle with the main thing, which is to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's why we need to saturate our lives with the Word of God. We tell you to be rich toward God is to have a relationship with God that is abundant and fruitful and deep and prolific. To live in the will of God and for the glory of God is to be loaded with God. It is to be dripping in God. It is to be copious and plentiful and have lush life with God. To be rich toward God is to be the kind of man or woman that people identify you as one who knows God and loves God and can't, and can't know or be known for anything but God. That's a life rich in God. To be rich toward God is exactly the opposite of the two ways of life described in the text of Luke 12. You have people with a whole lot of this world and not much of God, and they live in worry and stress and become overworked and self-centered. You then have the other group of people in verse 22 through the latter part of it who may not have as much in this world, but for whom the focus becomes, how can we get more? And they live their lives also overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and the fear of not having enough or the envy of not having as much as other people have. And remember, we said last week a fair analysis of this would find that many of us are a combination of the two because we are rich people compared to the rest of the world, but we are often broke people because we have spent all we have on ourselves and our will and not the will of God, and therefore we are broke, rich people. The life God offers us, a life rich in God, is, is this. Verse 22 through 30 shows us that to be, is to be rich in the experience of God, a life of trusting God's bountiful provision as opposed to worrying over the lesser things. You remember last week I talked about that Chinese pictograph for the word busy, two symbols that mean heart killing. And, and when you read verse 22 down through verse 30, you see a lot of people that are just anxious and worried and they're striving and they're trying to figure out how they can make it work and how they can get just a little bit more and, and, and they're killing their heart. I, I, I tell you, since I read that about the pictograph meaning heart killing, I've, I've been able to respond a little differently this last week or so. People talk about, boy, I know how busy you are, preacher. And I try to say, I'm trying not to be. I'm trying to not be so busy. And I mean it. A life rich in God is a life rich not only in the experience of God, but now we're to where we stopped last week. It is a life rich in the enterprise of God. Look at verse 31 again, and you'll see what I mean by this. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's a life of pursuing God's kingdom and purpose, as opposed to wasting my life on, on building my own little temporary kingdom. Now we all have a little kingdom. Don't get me wrong. And we ought to manage our kingdoms well. We ought to be good stewards of that which God has entrusted to us. I've spoken before, it's right to get out and, 
and, and mow your grass and trim your hedges and make things look good and exercise dominion over that that God has created because we are image bearers of God. Nothing wrong with that. Everything right with that. Everything right with doing your best on your job. To do your best. To be an image bearer of God is a good thing. But to do your best for your own glory is to make an idol out of your life. We do these things for God's kingdom, not ours. I manage my little kingdom because it's a, it's a little outpost of the kingdom. The kingdom that is coming. <laughs> and I'm just trying to manage my little part of it so when it comes, it's ready for him. That's what we're supposed to do. This is the connection with the passage from Haggai 1 that was read earlier. God summons his people. He says, consider your ways. And the primary point of Jesus' teaching is trust God's will. The kingdom of God comes first, not your little kingdom, not your earthly wealth or success or comforts. And what he said in Haggai and what Jesus says here, why do you work so hard and seem to never get ahead in what really matters most? Because you have made your house, that is your will, your glory, more important than God's house, that is God's will and God's glory. And when we make our house more important than God's house, we will fail. We'll put our money in bags that have holes. And that was God's word to them. Now let's all just try and be really honest with ourselves and with our culture for just a moment. This rich farmer, we didn't read the, the parable this morning, but we've read it two weeks now. This man who his ground brought forth plentifully. I'll just make a comment right there. God blessed this man. But this man gave God no glory for it. That is where he messed up. That's the first problem right there. Before he ever decided to tear down his barns and build bigger ones, he'd already blew it because he took it all for himself. And when you look at this rich farmer in this story, he's the prototype of the average American church member or not. This man was living what we call the American dream. His whole focus in life was to succeed in his business and earn a good deal of money and make it to an early retirement so that he could travel or golf or, or just enjoy the rewards of his hard work until he dies. Now, nothing wrong with travel, nothing wrong with golf. But when it becomes our focus, it's like anything else. It's an idol. When we do what we do for our own self, our own benefit, and God is not in it, and it's not for His glory. Preacher, how do you golf for the glory of God? I'll admit that's a struggle for people like me. It's hard for anybody to get glory out of my golf. But you can glorify God in everything. And if you can't glorify God in it, you better run from it as fast as you can. The follow-on is this. He, he did all this and made all this money and retired early and kicked back and he's got it made. Watching his, watching his accounts grow. But the rest of the story is, he dies. That's the story of your life. You're going to die. You're going to die. Maybe it would be good to set on that for a uh, uh, about five minutes and just think I'm, I'm gonna die you're gonna die call it whatever you want to kick the bucket make the final leap 
I don't know what all the things are, but you're going to do it. I heard a preacher recently reference a Reader's Digest article about a couple who took an early retirement from their jobs. They were from the northeastern part of the country. At the age of 59 and 51, they, they were able to retire early. And they moved to Punta Gorda, Florida, where the story says they now cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect seashells every day. And the preacher said this, Picture this couple standing before Christ at the judgment and saying, Look, Lord, see my shells? Now, if that does not strike your heart like that, you need to back up because you've already missed the point. God's not against seashell collecting. But this became their life. You retire at 59. Let's say you live to 79. 20 more years of doing what? Nothing. Nothing. Not hitting a lick for God. They might have even been good church members. I don't know, but you know what their life, you know what they're known for? Their boating, their softball playing, and their seashell collection. And they just sung a song about the cross. How does that measure? How does that even, how do you even want to enter eternity with that kind of a narrative on your life? 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11 through 14, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What things? All of it. Your clothes, your titles, your tools, your toys, all your treasures on the earth. It's all going to be dissolved. It's not going to matter. And seeing all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in a holy conversation and godliness? God is always far more concerned with your being than your doing. But if you want to know what you should be doing, here it is. Peter says, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be, here comes that word, diligent. Be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. I'm going to go ahead and say it again. I might say it every time we gather until Jesus comes. But some of you have this mentality. I asked Jesus to save me umpteen years ago. Praise God, Jesus paid it all. I'm going to heaven. All's good. I may not be what I ought to be, preacher, but praise God, I'm in Jesus. And when I see him, I'll be like him. You're lying to yourself. You've been listening to some lying preachers who didn't proclaim the word of God. Peter said, be diligent that you be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. Jesus did everything so you could be saved, but Jesus will not live your life for you. And if you think you're going to go to heaven and say, well, Lord, I, I mean, I believed you died on the cross for me. I'm here to enter into the glory and the joy of God. Well, explain to me, you got saved 35, 45 years ago, and yet you lived every one of those years for yourself. Does not compute. A life rich in God is a life rich in the experience of God, trusting God's bountiful provision, 
A life rich in God is a life rich in the enterprise of God, pursuing God's kingdom and purpose. And finally, a life rich in God is a life rich in the eternity of God. A life of investing in God's worldwide mission. That's what verse 33 and 34 tell us. Sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This just popped in my head. I remember a preacher was telling a story about a man in his church that made a determination that he wanted to give so much. He wanted to work on and This was just a thing between them. It wasn't like a everybody look at me story, but the pastor knew about it. And it was his desire... Of course, nobody knew about it until after, but it was his desire that he would not spend money, more money on anything else in his life than what he gave to the kingdom of God. And he worked little by little by little over the years to pay off debts and to increase his giving until the largest amount of money that went out of, from him every month went into the kingdom of God. More than his mortgage, more than his utilities and, and gas, and more than his groceries more than his subscriptions, more than his, you know, all that stuff that we're dropping money on all the time. I just, just remembered that. The story stuck with me. And I, 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 I want to look at my life and say, really, th does my life remotely look like that? Not just in dollars, but in everything that I have, am I giving the most of everything into the kingdom of God. And I believe that's what Jesus wanted us to learn. Living our lives in such a way that we're investing in the kingdom, and particularly in the work of redemption, the gospel mission to reach the lost, to encourage the saints, to lift up Jesus everywhere. This is opposed to earning and spending and saving it all for ourselves here, only to lose it in the end and be eternally destitute. What was this rich farmer's great sin? I said already, ultimately, it was that he lived to make much of himself and not to make much of God. What is the sin of that? Romans 3, 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we do what we do, short of the glory of God, we have sinned. And again, it's not just a man with an abundance, but what about those who worry that they'll not have enough? Again, it's to place ourselves as primary before God. We live our lives with one of two at the center. Either God is at the center of our lives, out of which we live and do for His glory, or self is at the center, out of which we live and do for self-gratification and gain. Church, I tell you this morning, it's my desire to live in and for the will of God and the glory of God every day and for all my days, so that my life will bring constant glory to Him. There's no higher purpose, no greater joy, no more satisfying life than that. Now, I want you to be really truthful this morning. Are you living a life which is rich toward God? Are you living in such a way that everything about you is magnifying God? Think about you now. Think about your life. Think about how others see you. Do you ooze with God? Do you drip with Scripture. Are you the kind of person that's living for the glory of God? You can't but speak of God's love and mercy and goodness. All you care to really talk about is what is God doing? I'm interested in God's story, God's mission. When you stand before Jesus, will you offer Him the shells you've collected? 
the high scores on the games you've played, the big bottom line on the accounting sheets. What do we think that he wants? And I want to say this this morning. The disconnect may well be in not understanding that the only way to fullness of joy in your life is to live for the glory of God. I am going to be the most satisfied in my life when my life is bringing God the most glory. God made me and made you, and He created all things toward one end, His glory. That's it. Are you born again? Are you saved? Then you belong to God. You've been bought by the precious blood of Christ, and now the only way to live right is not by checking off the list of religious do's and don'ts, but it is to live in such a way that everything about you is magnifying Him. For my life to be right and full and rich and joyful is to live in such a way that everything I do, everywhere I go, every dollar I earn or spend or save, every bite of food that I consume, every vacation I go on, every hour of every day, I am living so that I make God and Jesus look good. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. But by the time I die, I really want to have become the kind of man that you could engrave on my tombstone, he made God look good. The AP brought us here the first Wednesday night of the month when he brought a message on knowing our why. Some of y'all remember that, or if you've forgotten it, I want to jog your memory. Why do we do the things we do? Why do we believe what we believe? Why do we require of others what we require of them? Knowing our why. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And he asked us that night, are the choices we make in our lives like the life choices that Jesus made? In other words, do we live as Jesus would live? And I think for some of us, we think that's not a fair question. How can I possibly live as Jesus lived? How can we live up to the standard of Jesus? Is that possible? Of course it is. Of course it is. And I want to show you what his standard was. John 8, verse 28 and 29. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father hath taught me, I speak these things. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. When we start talking about living up to Jesus' standard, we start thinking, well, I don't know that I can put a hand on a leper and heal him, and I don't know that I can walk on water. Now, you, you, you hold on to your seats now, because I'm going to tell you what I think about that. I think you could. I think every one of us could if we ever got to really living the way Jesus lived. I don't for a, a moment doubt in my mind that it is possible. Now you're going to think I'm crazy. But I'm going to couch it in reality. But I don't, think, I don't doubt for a moment that a true follower of Jesus could walk on water. Ah, preacher, you done lost your mind. Tell that to Peter. Now you either believe it or you don't. I don't have a doubt that we could lay hands on the diseased and sick and they could recover and be healed. 
Ah, preacher, you lost your mind. Tell that to Paul, Peter, and John. Right? Our problem is we got to get this thing right here where we stop living for ourselves and we start living according to what the Father wants us to do. That's the standard. Now, now the Father may never want me to walk on water. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I got enough stuff to try to get done as it is. But as I close the message this morning and we begin to think ahead, I believe this truth about Jesus and how he lived kind of sets the stage for learning our next place of learning the will of God because we are after the mind of Christ. We are after a life lived according to what pleases the Father. But here is a real issue that we must address now and in the days ahead. I have often found a disconnect between my desire to do the will of God and my doing the will of God, right? Boy, that's an understatement. That's that Romans 7 and 8 stuff. But I tell you now, it must begin with surrender. It must continue with surrender, and it is always found in surrender. Now, Paul said, Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your bodies a living sacrifice. And I want to remind you again, take your body, your literal physical body, and you've got to present it to God, and it starts right there. Because you know where a lot of the problem we're having is, is starting? It's in our body. Is it not? It's the seeking to please the body and comfort the body. And we want, it, we want things to work well for the body. We want more money so we can buy nice things for the body. We're concerned about clothes because of how we bring and present our bodies, right? We've got to take our body and put it in the hands of God and say, Lord, I am a living sacrifice. This vessel is yours, not mine. Then, then we present our minds to be transformed, to be renewed, to become like Jesus. And then we live in the perfect will of God. I realize this about myself, and I want you to think about yourself this morning. As long as I'm choosing to live or act or serve in a way that's out of the will of God, I am hindering my growth, I am hindering my family, and I am hindering this church. Say, preacher, are there some things in your life that's not lining up with the will of God? Yes. Keep coming across them. And some of them I've been battling with and struggling with for a long time. And as long as I am not willing to resist those things and be conformed to the image of Jesus, I'm hindering all that that I said, including you. I can't be for you what I ought to be as long as I let that be a reality in my life. And some of you are living out of the will of God right now. You're doing what you want to do. You're choosing the path for yourself. You haven't surrendered. You haven't yielded it all to God. I don't mean you're living necessarily in gross sin, but you're not listening to God. You're not obeying the voice and His leading. You're holding on to your will in terms of your role and your desire and your intent. And you're not considering the possibility of what God wants. And for that, you are hindering your growth and you're hindering your family and you're hindering this church. And here's what I'm saying to you. I have some things I need to pray over this morning. And I hope that you will do the same. 